Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be considered as a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Adam Childers, back here in the year 2022 with the podcast brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy, known as Briefly Legal. Well, our loyal listeners out there, we took a brief hiatus for the last part of 2021, recharging our batteries and getting ready for another uh, year, year number two of this podcast, and all the wonderful legal news and information that we're going to get to uh, learn about and spread on to you, our friends out there in the business community. And of course, as we start 2022, we find ourselves talking about a topic that we talked about a lot in 2021, and that is the coronavirus, uh, Omicron uh, variant, uh, now that Delta has given way. And that means that um, I am going to be talking about something that uh, requires the assistance of some of the uh, members of my own labor and employment practice group. So today I've got Alan Hudson and Katie Campbell here with me. Say hello to everybody. Hello. Um, I do want to say it's good to be back. I have not been asked to do one of these for uh, almost a year, and I think I was talking about OSHA and, and COVID uh, a year ago. Unfortunately, we're, we're still here talking about it, but I'm glad that I got invited Deja back. Deja vu all over again. And say hello to everybody, Katie. Hi, everyone. It's my first time on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk with you guys today. Uh, well, we'll hope that you will still want to come back much like Alan has. And just for our uh, listeners out there, Alan Hudson is a shareholder and uh, one of my fellow law partners in the Labor and Employment Group. He's got a lot of background with OSHA, which led to his initial appearance on the show back when we were just talking about things in theory and not what we're talking about today, which is actual uh, vaccine mandates and Supreme Court arguments about that. But he remains uh, a big part of what we do in the Labor and Employment Group. Really happy to have you here. Katie is entering into her second year of the practice of law, and uh, she is someone who is near and dear to me because she is my paired associate, which means just about everything I work on, she works on as well. And that includes getting to be on this podcast, but she's been on COVID patrol since day one. And uh, so really uh, appreciate having Alan and Katie here today. So what are we going to talk about? Well, specifically, everyone, we're going to be talking about the momentous occasion that was the United States Supreme Court arguments that took place last Friday. Uh, Last Friday, the uh, nine justices gathered together for what we were told was going to be two hours of legal oral argument, turned out to be about four and a half hours for those of us listening, which is pretty much everyone on our floor and throughout the firm, in fact. But the argument was about OSHA's Emergency Temporary Standard, the ETS. You'll hear a lot of acronyms today, so ETS is a big one. And then also the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services uh, vaccine mandate. That's the CMS mandate. ETS uh, goes for private employers with more than 100 employees. CMS uh, is applicable to healthcare uh, facilities. And what happened last Friday is after a lot of legal wrangling, the United States Supreme Court said, let's sit down and try to hash this out. And we don't have a decision yet. As we sit here today, it's uh, it's Tuesday after the, uh, the arguments last Friday. By the time you hear this, 
Uh, we may all still be in limbo or we may have some definitive answers, but I hope you still listen along because we've got a lot of thoughts and ideas and even a few uh, prognostications for you to share today. So let's jump on into it, guys. And Alan, I want to start with you. Let's hit the reset button just for a moment and talk about the ETS and the CMS, what they are and, and how they came to be. Well, it, Adam, it's, it's hard to believe that we're almost two years into this pandemic. And um, ever since its inception, everybody's been kind of trying to figure out how to combat it, how to live with it, um, and how to you know get back to life and business as normal. When President Biden took office in 2021, I think one of his kind of campaign slogans was that he was going to, you know, use every avenue the federal government has to help combat the virus and to get control of it. And so one of the ways that the federal government decided to do this or to intervene, so to speak, was through OSHA and CMS uh, for healthcare facilities that receive Medicare and Medicaid funding, and also through federal contractors. So much to employers' dismay and, and some practicing on the management side, we ended up with three separate uh, so-called vaccination mandates. Again, you had one that applied to anybody that was engaged in a federal contract with the federal government. You had one that applied to healthcare facilities that received Medicaid or Medicare funding. And then you had this OSHA ETS that applied to employers, private employers, with more than 100 employees. And ever since these rumblings began kind of in the summer, building up into the fall of 2021, everybody was curious to see uh, what exactly this meant. Uh, and as these started rolling out in you know September through November, it became obvious that the federal government was hoping to encourage uh, private employers and, and you know healthcare employers and federal contractor employers to encourage and or require their employees to get vaccinated. And if not, there were going to be other hoops you had to jump through, such as masking or weekly testing. Uh, you're going to have to have written policies in place and, and track these types of things to ensure that you were maintaining a safe workplace. And that was kind of the lead up to the legal challenges that we have, you know, seen starting in late November into December and uh, ultimately the reason we're here today. Absolutely. And that's a it's a nice uh, summary of how we got here. And I'm reminded again that um, much like in 2021 and 2020, when we were dealing with a new federal law being passed every week, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, you know, creating paid family leave sort of out of thin air to address problems created by the pandemic, we have seen employers federal and private, turned to over and over as sort of the surrogate for congressional uh, direction on how this pandemic should be handled. So it's probably no surprise then, Katie, that all of this led to a huge legal battle because, spoiler alert, uh, Americans and seemingly the world are sort of torn into little bitty pieces over, you know, uh, from vaccination to masking and everything in between. So let's start with the ETS, the Emergency Temporary Standard from OSHA. Tell us what happened there, uh, you know, that led us to the steps of the United States Supreme Court. So as we expected, legal challenges to the ETS came out almost immediately after it was released in early November. Pretty soon after that, the Fifth Circuit, where the court is located in Louisiana, that Court of Appeals issued a stay, 
And from there, it, we had a lottery system where a circuit court from across the country was randomly selected. And we ended up at the Sixth Circuit, which was interesting to those of us, at least in our line of work, um, because they have 15 judges and 10 of those are conservative appointees. So, you know, we thought there was a possibility that it would die on the vine there, but it didn't. And the Sixth Circuit overturned that stay. And then from there, we had an abbreviated schedule and ended up for the Supreme Court last week. Yeah, you, you're exactly right. When I saw the Sixth Circuit sitting in Cincinnati with largely a conservative packed bunch, I thought, well, that may be the end of the line. But that's what's so exciting about the law. You can't really uh, ever predict for certain what's um, going to happen, although we're going to try at the end of this show uh, as it relates to what happened last Friday. But then a little bit different court systems that were being used and, and travel that was taken when it came to the CMS, but still landed in the same place. Tell us about that. So the CMS, uh, you know, it went through a little bit of a different landscape. There was a federal district court out of Missouri uh, that held that it did not, it could not go into effect in I think 10 states. And then from there, a Louisiana court decided that it couldn't go into effect at all. Um, and then we had some differing opinions after that before we ended up at the Supreme Court on the same day uh, last Friday, along with the ETS. Well, and that tees us up for the battle, right? The battle royale, the two biggest pieces of this vaccination and masking battle uh, went before the United States Supreme Court. Now, let's uh, remind everybody who the players are here, uh, the nine justices that we're going to hear or did hear uh, the arguments last week. You know, generally, we kind of put them into two camps. Uh, those who are on the conservative side of things include Justice Alito, Justice Thomas, as well as Justices Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, Barrett, and Roberts, uh, Justice Roberts being Chief Justice. Then on the liberal side, you've got Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan. Um, so, you know, at least on paper, you know, you got a, a 6-3 tilt on the conservative side. Most who are watching this would say, well, then that might mean that the, the stays that were dissolved uh, as it related to uh, these uh, mandates might be put back in place, or they might make a, a pronouncement that all of this was an overreach by uh, the federal government and, and, and see these thrown out the door. But let's uh, pump the brakes here for a second, because it was a spirited uh, battle that we listened to last week. And Katie, I'll come back to you. Let's start with justices that were kind of uh, on the on the liberal side of the ledger. You know, Justice Sotomayor, never been one to um, uh, back down from a good fight. I love listening to her thoughts on things. It seemed to me that there was one of the thrusts of her questions seemed to be the pandemic is hit about the worst level it's ever seen. Are we really talking about a stay now? Talk, talk about that and how that played out. I definitely think that's true. You know, Justices Sotomayor and Justice Kagan did not pull any punches. They, It's pretty clear what side they stand on. And that was one of Justice Sotomayor's main points is right now we're looking at things that are seemingly much worse than they were even when the ETS first came out back in November. So if things have gotten so much worse, then how are we really asking for a stay now? Yeah, and you, you could tell that there were some moments where people pucker up just a little bit when they're hearing some of those questions because is anybody who listened to those arguments or really any Supreme Court arguments, they don't care what the answer is. They they knew what they were uh, there to say, and it's just a crushing blow when you know anything I'm about to say is not going to matter uh, before uh, this uh, giant of the law. But that's not to say that both sides didn't get in their swings. I found it interesting, actually, this kind of 
kind of came out of a, a Sotomayor question. Alan, I'll turn to you on this. There was back and forth about well, this isn't really a vaccine mandate. You could tell that many of the justices came armed to say, we're not talking about mandating it. It's an either or scenario. And when it comes to masking, don't we ask for people to mask when they're inside of an assembly room that might have sparks flying off of some, you know, heavy machinery? Talk about that interchange, uh, exchange between the justice and the attorney and, and kind of how that played out. Yeah, Justice Sotomayor definitely used the example of in a, you know, a factory setting where you're cutting, you know, pipe or metal. OSHA clearly requires the folks that come into contact with those sparks that are flying off to wear masks, face protection to prevent, you know, loss of an eye, burn, those types of injuries. And she compared that to this kind of nationwide uh, mask mandate that OSHA is trying to enforce. And the the attorney for uh, for the employers, for the petitioner, essentially responded, that kind of proves my point. That is what OSHA does. They identify specific hazards in certain workplaces, and then they pass policies, procedures, and regulations to address those hazards to protect the health and safety of the employees. That's, But that's not what the government's done here, at least from the employer's perspective, is you didn't go – uh, workplace to workplace, industry to industry to decide if a mask mandate made sense. Because here at Crow and Dunleavy, you know, that's a very different work environment than it would be if I was working on an assembly line, you know, in a Ford factory. But, sure. But the OSHA mandate, uh, as written, does not make any distinction between my work environment and a factory employees' work environment. And so that was kind of one of the big arguments that the petitioners, the employers, the folks that don't like this mandate are making, that OSHA, again, generally speaking, passes rules, regulations, policies that are industry-specific. Which I, led to a great retort from Justice Sotomayor said, are you saying the human body is not a machine of its own? And, uh, you know, isn't the expectorant that we send out, you know, kind of like those sparks that m- you might find in, on a long assembly line? But but your point and the, and the petitioner's point was well taken. This is an extraordinary relief that is being asked for. And, this, and there were questions about whether or not the grave danger had even uh, been met, uh, you know, and whether there was an... The, the scope of authority was being exceeded. Katie, I noticed that there were also just some pragmatic questions, uh, too. I mean, people were raising, uh, you know, issues about, you know, are you saying that they're, you're going to have to comply as soon as, you know, the following Monday? And, you know, shouldn't we have some additional time? Questions uh, specifically came up about testing. And we've heard this a lot from clients. You know, I, I can't, a lot of them can't even get their hands on, uh, you know, enough tests. Uh, now, there was, so there was a bit of good news. I think the Solicitor General came out and addressed that particular point and when there would even be an attempt by OSHA to try to address that. What, what did she have to say on that topic? So she brought it up, and as we all know, tests are uh, somewhat hard to come by right now, and she addressed that by saying that they would not enforce the testing portion of the ETS until February 9th of this year, so a little additional time to figure out where those tests are going to come from and how employees are going to get them and when. Right. Didn't mean that the entire 
program was put on hold, but did say at least give a little bit uh, of a relief. Now, even though there was some, uh, you know, equivocation by some folks, you know, in my mind, when it came to, uh, you know, Justice uh, Alito, uh, you know, felt like he he made his feelings very well known. There were several staunch areas where you just knew where the votes were going to land. But Alan, who do you see as the swing votes uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, whether or not this uh, gets shut down or, or, or marches forward? Well, it's interesting. Again, a conservative makeup. Three of the, the last Supreme Court justices were nominated and confirmed uh, under the Trump administration. And so, again, going into this thing, you got to be thinking there's no way that they're not going to stay this. They're mm-hmm. going to shoot this thing down. But it appears that it's not that definitive that you've got uh, Justice Roberts, Justice Kavanaugh, and Justice Barrett are are somewhat on the fence, or at least folks are speculating that they're on the fence, uh, just based on the questioning they asked and kind of their their past opinions. And Roberts is the interesting one because he has become, even though, you know, conservative appointee, arguably a conservative uh, justice has been a a swing vote when there's a four to four split on a lot of critical legal opinions that have come out since he's been on the bench. And so, you know, I always think uh, no one would ever come out and say this, but that's an incredible amount of power that's vested in someone if you become that swing vote. And if you can just hold out a little bit or make a, a, a decision out of your comfort zone every once in a while and justify it, um, it really puts you in a seat of power that others don't occupy. So um, I, I think your point's well taken. I don't think it's settled how it's all going to turn out, but that will not stop me from our third and final segment of this podcast of asking exactly that. How does it all end? And I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm going to pony up. I'm going to get in this uh, as well. We're going to, you know, have our fictional pot of monopoly money that we're throwing in here. But I'll, I'll get it started. Having heard the oral arguments and thought through the issues, um, here's how I vote, uh, and not, not, not my personal opinion. But here's how I, how I think it'll turn out. I think the, the ETS. Um, is going to get stayed. I don't think it's going to make it through. I think there are too many detractors, and even those swing votes seem to kind of turn on it later in their questioning. But I think CMS makes it. I think CMS is viewed a little bit differently, particularly in the healthcare setting. So I think we get a split decision um, and probably not what a lot of our healthcare clients, particularly rural health healthcare clients want to hear. Uh, but that's where I've got it landing. What's your scorecard look like, Alan? Okay, Adam, I'm going to agree with you on the CMS. I think that it's going to pass legal muster. I think it's going to go into effect. Again, I think the healthcare setting is just kind of a different industry. And again, you go back to that looking at what are the hazards that present themselves in a specific workplace. I think that one's going to go into effect. And as far as the ETS, I'm going to hedge here. Okay. Um, are we allowed to do that? Yeah, let's let's hedge okay. away. I'm yeah. going to hedge. I'm going to say that they're going to strike down or stay the vaccine mandate. Mm. However, I think the other uh, requirements of the ETS, such as the masking and the weekly testing, I think that they will say that OSHA had the authority um, to pass those requirements. I like it. Alan thinking outside the box. Katie, what do you have for us? So we are three for three on the CMS mandate. I agree that I think that one will stand. Um, but I'm with you, Adam, on the ETS. I think that we're going to get a stay on that one. 
Okay. All right. Well, we'll hopefully find out soon. But even if we don't find out soon, it begs one final question, Katie, and I'm going to pitch this one to you. What should employers be doing? I mean, this, you know, we might find something out tonight or we might find something out in 30 days. It's their docket and their decision. The, the nine will make that, that call for sure. But uh, what do employers need to be doing in the meantime? So as we sit here today, the ETS did go into effect yesterday, and the first step in that is to gather the vaccination status of your employees and to come up with a plan for your vaccine and or testing policies. Um, So hopefully employers already have those into place. Um, And then from there, as we said on February 9th, that's when the testing will kick in. Right, which means find a source for those uh, testing kits and have a plan for your protocol uh, to be put in there because goodness knows it is uh, difficult to chase down as we stand here now. So, well, guys, we're putting this into a time capsule. Uh, Our podcast will be here for the rest of the year and people can come back and take pot shots at us on what we got right and what we got wrong. But what I do know that we got right is our unwavering commitment to our clients and to the business community here in Oklahoma to stay on top of this every step of the way. It's important stuff. And uh, we know how hard it is for all of you out there trying to comply. And um, we're going to be here for you as a resource uh, as we go through that. So just as soon as there is a ruling that we receive from the Supreme Court, rest assured, we're going to fill you in on what you need to know and what type of actions you need to be taking in the meantime. Uh, Speaking of in the meantime, if you have any questions, we'd be glad to follow up with us. Uh, Just email us at brieflylegal at crowdunlevy.com. Or if you have a separate topic that you'd like us to discuss uh, here in 2022, we are all ears. We're excited. We've got some great ideas of our own, but we really, uh, as usual, want to uh, cater to our audience and hear what you would like to, to learn about. So uh, until we get some, uh, clear, some clarity from the United States Supreme Court, I just hope that the rest of you have a great week. And I'm looking really forward to visiting with you, not only next time, but for the this entire calendar year here on Briefly Legal.